Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hello, world. Welcome to the 312th episode of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business Channel. We're broadcasting across the world from our studio on Hollywood Boulevard in Hollywood in California, where technology meets entertainment. I've only just got off a plane from Australia where I um, had speaking engagements and also had some client meetings. So 16 and a half hours or whatever it is without any sleep, but it's great to be back in LA. An American company I'm involved with in Thailand is launching an ICO this week, so I thought I'd take the opportunity to explain what an ICO is. An initial coin offering, or ICO, is a fundraising mechanism based on cryptocurrencies such as Bitcoin. An ICO can launch a whole new cryptocurrency. There's been 1,037 new cryptocurrencies in the last few months. Or it can be used to create tokens, and these tokens are used to fund a new business. For example, Filecoin is doing an ICO to allow a new data storage company to pre-sell tokens to be used as a digital form of payment for distributed file storage. So it raised hundreds of millions of dollars in a pre-sale to some of the biggest investors in Silicon Valley. The, um, the technology, it uses excess storage capacity on all sorts of computers. There's tons and tons and tons, an extraordinary amount of excess storage capacity out there. And it's like an Airbnb, I guess, for hard drives. And it's being built with funds from the token sale. Nothing about an ICO is really simple. It's become its own financial subculture, yet more than 1.5 billion has been raised via ICOs to date. In fact, blockchain-based businesses have so far this year raised more capital via ICOs than through traditional venture capital. So ICOs are the go and uh, I believe they're here to stay. The real story is the underlying innovation of crowdfunding through a sale of digital tokens and they're verified by a novel use of blockchain technology and it's refreshingly independent of our modern banking and fundraising mechanisms. All of the big banks and IBM in particular is heavily into blockchain in countries across the world um, where their banking systems aren't as vigorous or as rigorous as those of us in America, Australia, England. And in theory, ICO is pretty simple. Entrepreneurs announce and promote their new idea online. The ICO customers who are excited about and want to use the product buy the tokens. Then the entrepreneur uses the funding to build the product using a token that is a value only on that system. Now, the guys in Thailand have a project called Love Pattaya where all of the stores in Pattaya and Pattaya Pattaya is the sixth largest tourist destination in the world 
and all the stores will be using their currency, cryptocurrency, inside their ecosystem. So it's a way those retailers and those um, people who buy into the ICO have an ex- excellent opportunity to make a shed load of money and uh, make their life a lot easier. The specialist crypto investor relations and marketing companies are sprouting up. They're looking to charge well over $100,000 for a successful ICO launch. There are registered broker dealers offering some services as well. And finding the credible ones are still tough as there's a lot of questionable shops with the minimum licensing that are a little more than boiler rooms. A true utility token is going to be an asset class on its own and will tap into the established financial market. But as of yet, there is no system or really credible player. ICOs may complement venture capital and private equity. Then again, they may not. Regulatory crackdowns could slow things down also, but so far ICOs continue unabated. The point is that this is a fundamentally new funding model, so there's no roadmap for growth and process. The road that's being paved has created its own subculture, and that's an interesting thing to see in the what is usually a grey and stodgy area of finance. So keep your eyes open for ICOs and watch that cryptocurrency and blockchain. Do you get my daily 30-second read business newsletter? We've now got about 1.7 million daily subscribers and it goes up quite quickly. For example, um, I spoke recently to um, the Australian Hotel Group, which has got something like 330, 350 uh, licensed premises which sell food and liquor and have poker machines and provide entertainment. They're very big. And uh, um, they have put all of their hotel managers onto our database. So welcome to all of those ALH managers in Australia who are now on getting the daily newsletter. Every day we tackle a different subject. It could be advances in medicine to new apps to new technology, subjects like the Hyperloop, autonomous cars, blockchain. We run the gamut. It's free, 100% free, and its information is really invaluable. I must admit, it's a real pain in the ass to write. It takes me two and, a, two and a half full days pretty much to write the five daily newsletters each week. I write them personally, one word at a time. However, it's gratifying to see the number of companies that enrol all of their senior staff as an educational tool. Thank you. I really appreciate it. And if you don't get it, go to my website, bobpritchard.com, and enrol. Now, One of the problems, as we all know, is plastic. You know, the ocean is full of plastic. The air is full of plastic. So we've got some good news. Researchers at Kunming Institute believe, now this is where I get mixed up, Aspergillus tubingensis fungus can break down plastic in just a matter of weeks. 
where plastics that are stuck in a landfill can take a thousand years to biodegrade. But these Aspergillus tubingensis can break down plastic in just a couple of weeks. And the plastic-eating fungus will be able to be used in waste treatments plants and plastic waste-contaminated soils that just churns through it. Now, humans have created an astonishing 8.3 billion metric tonnes of plastic since 1950. Now, that's a weight, just to give you an idea of how much plastic that is, it's equivalent to the weight of one billion elephants. That's a thousand million elephants. And the average person, yeah, the average person uses more than 200 plastic bags yearly. And more than 79% of this plastic's been thrown away and left to disintegrate on beaches, on streets, in drains, and in landfills. And as it breaks down, it breaks into smaller and smaller and smaller pieces and it becomes invisible microplastics as small as cells in your body that are now blanketing the planet's oceans, air, and land. The issue of plastic waste is fast becoming one of the greatest threats to, um, to our lifestyle. It's really quite extraordinary. Plastic waste is polluting the water's oceans at a rate of 8 million metric tonnes per year. 8 million metric tonnes per year, throttling seals, turtles and other sea creatures and even seeping into drinking water. By 2050, 12 billion metric tonnes of plastic will be in landfills around the world and by 2050, the world will have more plastic in the ocean than it has fish. Now, what doesn't land in the oceans more often than not ends up clogging city streets, polluting natural environments and wasting away in landfills around the world. Harmful chemicals from plastics buried in landfills also seep into our groundwater supplies, leading to adverse health consequences for humans and animals alike. Now, that whole thing is just horrific. There's another option that's been discovered, and that's caterpillars. And experiments show that caterpillars, they're a particular type of caterpillar, and I won't try to pronounce it and make a mess of it like I did the last one, could also help tackle this mountain of waste as an enzyme found in the caterpillar is able to digest polyethylene, one of the toughest and most used plastics commonly found in plastic bags. The genes from the enzyme could be extracted and put into genetically modified bacteria or marine organisms to degrade plastics in the ocean and on land. So this plastic pollution is affecting humans in all sorts of ways. It's not only seeping into the water supplies, it's also getting swept up by the wind and falling from the sky. We breathe it. It covers crops and it enters all the water sources. 
In a recent study throughout Europe, the US, India, Ecuador, and more than a dozen other countries, 83% of tap water samples from around the world contain plastic fibres. That means that with nearly every cup of water, you are ingesting plastic fibres. Now, that's pretty scary. Now, microplastic fibres can carry bacteria from sewage, toxic chemicals, and other pathogens which are quickly released when in the gut of an animal. And the fibres themselves release chemicals intrinsic to the plastic. So who knows what the hell effect that's having on us. From countries taking steps to eliminate plastic, or individuals and brands finding innovative solutions... From countries taking steps to eliminate plastic or individuals and brands finding innovative solutions to removing plastic from the world's oceans, the war on plastic has begun. Google and Levi's have launched a $350 smart jacket. Did you know that? And that's pretty cool. So Levi's made a denim smart jacket in collaboration with Google's project Jackard. It uses Bluetooth and conductive threads to communicate with a smartphone app. You can program different actions, such as the double tap on the sleeve. It's a really cool sleeve. It's just got a little gadget on it. You can double tap it to change your music or give you directions. And the jacket's a totally regular jacket, apart from the tab on the sleeve. And the tab's what powers the whole jacket. It connects to your phone using Bluetooth. It charges up by sticking in a USB port. And this is what makes this jacket tech-enabled versus just an ordinary denim jacket. The other thing that's special about this is the connected threads that are in the sleeves right, and this basically turns your cuff into something like a touch screen. So the cuff of your jacket becomes a touch screen. To get started with the jacket, you're gonna to need to download an app from the App Store. It's called the Jackart app, and this is sort of the brains of the operation. There are five different motions that the jacket is capable of doing. It lets you double tap on the sleeve, brush out the sleeve, brush in on the sleeve, cover the entire sleeve with one hand, and the button on the sleeve lights up depending if you're getting a call or a text. So you've got a whole bunch of different motions and all leading and uh, giving you different abilities. One of the issues I found when wearing the jacket is that because there are only five different controls, you feel like you're constantly changing them to do different things, which can get confusing, and I guess it's kind of a hassle, but, you know, you go back to when you started using your smartphone, and I think it's probably um, not much different. You started off using a few of the uh, applications, you end up using a whole truckload of them, and uh, so I think that we'll probably get used to it. Now, great thing about this jacket is you can set those five different motions to do whatever you want. You've, and so you can just do different things depending on how you set the jacket. Now, Google made this jacket to be for commuting and specifically for bike commuting. So they added a lot of nice features that aren't necessarily tech features, but they're pretty cool to have. On the flip side, the jacket's 350 bucks, 
and that's more than most people would pay for a regular denim jacket. Certainly, this little black duck is not going to go and pay 350 bucks for a denim jacket. But like most things tech, it's a really exciting first step into tech-enabled fabrics and tech-enabled clothing, and you can be guaranteed the price will come down dramatically in the not-too-distant future. So I think all those things are pretty exciting. My guest today is Matthew Gallagher. He's a very cool guy, this guy. He's a Los Angeles-based entrepreneur, and he's had a he had this amazing idea, and I don't think I'll tell you, but you wait for the interview, but it's an amazing idea, and if you had have told me that um, I've got this idea and this is what it is, I would have said, you are fucking nuts. It is never going to work. But guess what? He's got over 18,000 subscribers. He's taking in a couple of million dollars a month in recurring revenue, which is exactly what any business needs. It is a great idea. And I'll be back with Matthew after this short break on the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business Network. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show and to the segment of the show where we interview entrepreneurs. Entrepreneurs are people who think differently, think outside the box, solve problems, and have something to share with other entrepreneurs that can help us all overcome the challenges that every entrepreneur faces. Yeah, the failure rate of new projects is about 95%, so we need to learn all we can from those that have gone before us and have been successful. So in this segment, we, we set out to try and find what it is that make these successful people tick and what it is that they have done that has guaranteed their success. Matthew Gallier is a Los Angeles-based entrepreneur with a history in computer engineering and digital advertising. As the founder and CEO of Watch Gang, Matthew oversees the day-to-day business operations of the world's top monthly watch club, 
leading the business to over 18,000 subscribers and 1.8 million in monthly recurring revenue. Uh, that's not bad. I think he's doing pretty well, this boy. Beyond his business expertise, Matthew is passionate about helping others and is a committed philanthropist. He resides in Studio City, not very far from where I live, with his family. You know, one of the one of the important things I think about um, being a successful entrepreneur, and probably the most important thing about being a successful entrepreneur, is giving back. Either giving back to the community, or giving back in the form of mentoring up and comers. I think that's really really important. Hi, Matthew. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. You're being heard in 63 countries around the world. Hey, Bob. How's it going? It's going great. I'm um, currently in Sydney, Australia, um, heading back tomorrow to LA and uh, looking forward to it. Cool. Now, I found Watch Gang to be a totally unique idea. and, And when I saw it on first glance, I thought, how the hell can somebody make a buck out of selling people watches every month? Um, <laughs> I've got three watches, and I, I don't use any of them because they're all sort of ornate and impossible to tell the time, so I use my phone like everybody else. But um, they look pretty. <laughs> now, now watch, watch Club's described as the world's best watch of the month club. Firstly, how many of them is there, and could you just sort of explain to us the idea behind the watch gang? Yeah, absolutely. So I like to think of us as the, the world's best watch club overall. Subscription watches, um, there's not a whole lot of competition in the space, but um, I look at it as a, as a way to really um, get people interested that maybe wouldn't otherwise be uh, too interested in wristwatches yeah. and, uh, and sort of cultivate that interest through a subscription service. And then we offer a lot of other uh, kind of value-added services to the members. Um, but yeah, it kind of started out just uh, as an idea. Um, there, uh, you know, there are the watch community and the watch market is, is pretty big. Um, it's hundreds of years old. Uh, obviously, wristwatches have been around for a long time. Sure. Um, but you know, sort of the obstacle I think was uh, seeing how many people really want to get a watch every month, and uh, we're still finding that out right now. But uh, it. So, yeah, so are there people out there that sort of buy a watch every month and they've got cupboards full of watches? Yeah, we we actually, so we just crossed over a year in business and uh, I mean, we have members that have seven different memberships with us because they want to get seven watches every month. Okay. They're either, <laughs> they're either obsessive about time or they've got a lot of friends or... Yeah. Uh, or too much it time on their way. hands. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> so, what? Where did this come from? Did you sort of wake up at two o'clock one morning and go, "Aha! The light came on. Watches. I'll sell everybody a watch every month." <laughs> no, not at all. Uh, oh. <laughs> you know, I think normally, you know, when businesses start, you know, it's uh, to solve a problem of some sort and. Honestly, I didn't even know the problem that I was solving until a few months into running uh, Watch Gang. Um, I just knew that it was working. I didn't know why yet, but uh, I, I mean, I can speak to that now. Um, but <clears throat> basically, my uh, my dad passed away last year, and he left me a watch, and that's really all he had. Right. And that 
was something that kind of, you know, sat with me for a long time. And, um, it's, you know, it's the one thing that I really treasure that I, you know, that I have that was close to my father. Sure. And I started thinking about it and how watches really, you know, I think since phones became more prominent, you know, watches are worn less. Um, but there are some younger watch companies kind of ushering in, uh, younger people into, into buying watches again and getting interested in it. And, and basically my idea was, um, how can I sort of get people a new watch and take away the, the sort of overwhelming, um, process that goes along with that a lot. There are so many watches that you can buy. Um, a lot of people that are, you know, sort of interested, they get overwhelmed and they just don't buy anything. And so I, I sort of just take that, take that away, uh, for them. I take the fear away and it's at a good price where we guarantee it's worth more than they're paying. So it's not really risky. Um, and I think what really set us apart was that, um, I started giving away Rolex every month when we started. And that was sort of to, that was kind of like the nod to my old man. Um, I wanted to give something to people that they could pass down through their, you know, generations and, uh, and that sort of turned into a weekly thing now. So we give away Rolex every Friday. (laughs) I might, I might have to join. So what's the, (laughs) what's the, uh, range of prices of these watches you offer every month? Uh, we, we have four memberships that are $30 a month, a hundred dollars a month. Uh, 300 and then a thousand dollars and depending on the style that you're looking for and the quality and the the value range um you know we have basically something for everybody so you pay to be a member and then you get offered a watch every month which you then buy right no so your your membership fee gets you the watch oh the membership fee gets you the watch Yep, exactly. So there's just one price you're paying. You're paying your your, your membership dues. Let's say you're on our original plan. Uh, that's thirty bucks a month. You get a watch every month while you're a member, and you keep it. You don't pay anything extra. You don't send it back. Wow. Do they work? <laughs> <laughs> no, they're they're paper watches. No, they, they work. They uh, they um, yeah. We so we just we partner with companies every month that um, they they're willing to work with us because they. Uh, they see a huge um, opportunity to get in front of people that they wouldn't have otherwise. Um, and so we get big discounts and we're able to get good watches that are worth more. Um, I mean, there's a huge markup in the jewelry industry anyway. Sure. So um, that kind of, you know, lends itself to being able to come in and, and shake things up like this. So your margins must be pretty slim. You just need a lot of members, right? Um, yeah. So they're, they're not, um, I mean, they're not awesome. I think they're like, gross margins are like over 40%, oh, um, which is pretty healthy. And, um, you know, it just, it really depends on the, the brands that we work with and where they can come in uh, at, the, at the prices that we need. So what are the age group of the members? Is this an older, is it 35 and over or are they young, trendy iPhone uh, brigade buying them as well? We have we have members from uh, recent high school graduates all the way up to, to people in uh, in retirement. Um, so it's really a matter of of getting people excited and interested about watches and about horology and and uh, generally people will join uh, our lower tier and then sort of graduate throughout the the membership levels as they learn more about watches and they come to love them. Okay, yeah. It's interesting because I was thinking about my son. My son's with Google, um, and uh, he always uses his phone for the time, but he's got an absolutely beautiful watch. 
um, which I guess is jewellery more than um, than functional. Is that sure. a trend? Yeah, absolutely. I think that um, I don't think anybody needs a watch. Um, you know, traditionally, obviously, they were used for mostly for just timekeeping. Um, and as uh, as watches became more popular, you know, they were used both for timekeeping, for function, and and for fashion. Hmm. And it's also one of the few fashion items that men get to accessorize with. So um, I think that um, I mean we're we're mostly. Uh, men as members uh, i think we have 99 percent um, and that's all that we've catered to so far but um we have a big market for women's watches as well and that's that's coming soon but um <clears throat> no i think uh having it as a fashion item alone is is fine but um typically what i find is that people that kind of uh, join our membership for the fashion side of things they start getting really interested in in what else uh is is there kind of you know what other what other uses can they really uh, find for their watch did you fund it yourself or did you go out after funding or how did you? Uh, so I started it myself. Uh, and then after the first month we had a, a couple hundred members and I had a really good friend who I've worked with for a long time who, uh, he seat funded, um, uh, the second month, which got me to grow to where we are today, uh, at 18,000 members. Right. Cause I was thinking if you went to, if you came to me, um, as an investor and said to me, look, I'm going to start this watch club and I'm going to sell people a, w- a watch every month, I would tell you you were stark raving mad. <laughs> I mean, I've heard I, I've heard that in the beginning. I still hear it today. I mean, we're like I said, we're a year old and we've done 11 million in sales and I still hear it from people. And what I think the, the main thing is, people always ask, well, how many watches does someone need? And I think... I, I, there's really no answer to that yet. I, I want I want people to have as many watches as, as they can get, obviously. But um, really, what this comes down to is, uh, you know, five years from now, I don't think that a subscription watch will be at our core business. Um, I think it's a really great way to get people interested, and it'll obviously be part of the business. But the real um, the real uh, important thing that we're doing is sort of all things watches, and that that industry is a lot more um, uh, vast than a monthly subscription. Yeah. What um, what are the major obstacles that you uh, faced when you were trying to build the business months one through six or whatever until it got some grip? Probably convincing people to get a watch every month. That was pretty hard. No, I'm just kidding. That, was, that wasn't actually that hard. Uh, it was mostly um, growing a business like this. Uh, it's my the first time that I've really like had employees and uh, and, and had to manage a team. So I think for me personally, um, the obstacles were uh, sort of figuring out how to let go of every department because I was doing it all myself, sure. you know, from packing boxes to customer service and marketing. So it was trusting people to do those jobs as, you know, as I would. Well, that's the key, isn't it? Most um, entrepreneurs fail because not because they don't have a good product or project, but uh, they fail because they're trying to be a jack of all trades and do um, – every role of a business manager without really having the skills to do any. Um, so what, exactly. So what's your background? What, what gave you the skills to be a good CEO, which you obviously are? Well, I, um, so my, I have a background in computer engineering. And right. so that helped me just kind of overall, I think, uh, you know, get any, any kind of business that you, you you're going to run basically is going to need somebody in technology. So I think my understanding of technology has really helped me, uh, in some areas that might pose 
problematic for other uh, single founders. Right. Um, and then also I have a background in advertising. And so, you know, those two things together sort of, you know, you could start up about anything and at least do a quick test and see, hey, is there is there a market demand for this? What sort of marketing have you used? How have you sold you really need to have 115 watches? How do you get that message across? <laughs> well, I mean, you know, Facebook, obviously, uh, you can get sure. very granular in who you're targeting. Sure. Um, and that's the way that we really started out, Facebook and Instagram. And then as, we, as we've as we grown, you know, we've put a little bit more money into branding and, and sort of brand loyalty stuff. And, yeah. you know, we're out, we, we advertise everywhere that we can. And I, I test as much as possible because in my in my background, I've seen businesses, you know, not willing to throw a little money at new new uh, areas that they're yeah. not comfortable with or they're not very knowledgeable about. Yeah. And I think that obviously that that's a safe way to do it. But when when you really take some risks, you can find some some avenues that are amazing untapped markets that uh, you know you wouldn't have otherwise. So um, that's kind of where where I'm at. We we started advertising on Snapchat, which you know I didn't think would work, but I figured I would test it and that's yep. working really well. And then there's lots of other ways too. Yeah. So how do you select, you, you only offer one watch in each of the membership categories each month, right? So, no, we actually send a huge range of watches in every membership. Each month. Okay. Yeah. Every month. So I think in, in a single month before we've sent over a hundred different types of watches. So if I was a member, um, I would get to select from a whole range of watches every month. They're inside. It's always going to be a mystery post. to you as yeah. a member. So it'll always be a mystery until you open your box. But my, I'll tell you where my thought came from with this is that um, you know most subscription companies they give everybody the same thing every month. Right. And while that you know works for a lot of companies, for watches. I, I never thought that would be a good idea because I have the same chances of sending you a watch that you'll like or that you'll hate if I send you the same thing as everyone else or if I send you something different. Right. And the thought behind sending something different and diversifying that collection is that we, we have a trading platform. So if I send you something that isn't really your fancy, well, you can go on our platform and trade that watch for something that really, really uh, you know, hits your style. And and then everybody's happy, and that's that's been huge for us, the community. It's really interesting. What's what's the fav- what's your favorite part of running the business? What do you get the most kick out of when you get up every morning? Um, it used to be uh, in being in the customer service side of things. So working with members uh, daily uh, was both rewarding and challenging because you know I'm hearing good things, and then obviously every business has. Uh, has things that they can approve on. Sure. And I was hearing those directly, which I think really helped me mold the business to where it is. Um, but eventually there was a point where I had to focus more on the growth and less on the member services stuff. So right now, um, I'm really, really excited about um, any any sort of charitable uh, stuff that we do. Um, you know, we're not, we're not changing the world, sending watches to people every month, but if I can kind of use the business to... Uh, you know, to do some good, then that's, that's all I'm, you know, that's all I'm really wanting to do. So do you do, do, do you use um, the charitable stuff for want of a better word um, as a, as a marketing tool or you do it because you genuinely don't want to see a homeless person on the corner without knowing what time it is? 
<laughs> I don't I don't go hand and watches out to, to guys on the street, but uh, no, I I genuinely uh, I'm a softy. I care about people. I want to help people, and I don't do it for marketing at all. I mean, I I don't I don't uh, condemn businesses that do that because. You know, bottom line, if they're helping people, if they're benefiting from sure. that, that's great. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I agree. But um, I've I've actually been uncomfortable making anything about PR or anything. So I all everything that I've done so far has been internal uh, for our employees and for our customers. We've not like you know promoted it in any way. So we raised our our members raised like fifty thousand dollars to help. Um, Hurricane Harvey victims in Texas, and oh, right. I, I went. I went to Texas as part of a like a cleanup crew, and I was helping people directly and using those funds to just help in any ways that I could. Because I'm a big fan of seeing exactly where my money is going to help oh, people. Sure. Um, I you know we could do, we could donate that to a big organization, but I really wanted to impact like people directly and see and see that impact, and that's that's where I want to keep growing uh, the company too. That's fantastic, and that's that's where you win. I mean, that, too few people do that. Too few few people that are successful do that, and it's a. It, I think it's the most important attribute of any entrepreneur is giving back. As I said before, I think it's fantastic. So, your customer feedback. How do you get? You know, I'm I'm interested in, for example, um, I do a daily newsletter that goes out to 1.7 million people every day, and uh, I did an article on Lyft. And the guys that run Lyft, the two guys that founded Lyft, um, they still drive a couple of days every week. They get out there and they actually drive the cars. And I thought, that's really cool because, you know, I'm I'm not a big Kalanick fan, I've got to say straight off. But Kalanick always gave the impression that he really didn't give a shit, where these guys are out there couple of days a week driving and getting firsthand the feedback and that's got to be a huge help when you're running a business so how do you get your feedback i i mean i i respect that so much and that is um i hadn't heard of that and i think it's so awesome and it is awesome my so i've i've sort of done the same thing i think with watch gang in the beginning even up until a few months ago, I was, you know, handling individual customer service uh, issues. So right. I was in our ticketing system in Zendesk and, you know, I'm answering tickets and I'm responding directly to people. I, I've answered the phones up until a couple months ago. And I think that, you know, for my mental sanity, um, I had to, <laughs> I can't do that obviously every day, but um, uh, I learned so much about what people really want. And I'm, I'm still a part of the community where I talk to our members every day. Um, when, when I go, I, when I do our giveaways live, you know, people look forward to that and they talk to me and I, I respond back and I, I have probably three or 400 personal conversations going like at any time with different members and that really helps me. Yeah. It's like, it it really keeps you on the pulse of your business. And, you know, I, I do trust my employees and I trust the people that I've put in charge of departments, but you know, I care so much about this. I, I want to be firsthand hearing about any issues and, and seeing how we can improve. Yeah, I think that's phenomenal. That's brilliant. So how do you how do you choose the watches every month? Surely there's only so many different watches out there being being manufactured of different brands of watches. How do you how do you keep such a big supply of watches going through the system? 
so I mean, surprisingly enough, there are there are thousands of of watch brands like just in Switzerland, right? And then oh, really? thousands more in in lots of other countries. Oh yeah, there are there are so many uh, brands to work with. Um, we'll never work with all the all the brands, but um, we have a team that curates watches. They work with uh, suppliers and brands to to get cool stuff. We get samples in daily. Um, we decide what we want to work with. Um, you know, every month. And we make sure that the quality is great and that the, um, the value is really good. Um, and we work with micro brands all the way up to, I mean, we've worked with Citizen and Seiko now. Right. I must, I must admit, I still, I still remember when I was first told about this, I thought, you've got to be kidding. Who the hell's going to buy all these watches? So what's the, what's the major reason watch gangs being so, I mean, if you started a cufflinks club, you know, I could see myself, not that I ever wear shirts, but I could find myself if I wore shirts, you know, getting a dozen cufflinks over 12 months and then saying, well, shit, i got a cupboard full of cufflinks and I don't need any more of these. Um, so why do you think Watch Gang has taken off like it has? I mean, your sales are phenomenal considering um, what it is, I think. Yeah. So I think, I think, uh, and I think the cufflinks is a, is a good analogy and where it differs and where, where watches are kind of special in that is that they are more of a collectible item that people trade all the time. And so I might send you 12 watches in a month or in a year, and you might think that you have enough watches, but people refresh their collections all the time. So six of those watches, you might end up trading and wanting new stuff. And so you're always getting something new and you're, you're using like, let's say three or four of them to upgrade into a bigger uh, or a nicer, more expensive watch, or you just look into, you know, get a facelift on your whole uh, watch box and you trade them all for a few other items. So that's the real beauty about watches is that once people become part of the community, they're just, they love it. They love trading them. They, they buy and sell them every day in our, in our uh, watch exchange group. And I think that's the real magic behind uh, watch gang. <laughs> I guess I'm old fashioned. I, I've got three really beautiful watches um, that I wear all the time, I rotate them, but I wear the same. And I've been wearing these watches for probably 20 years. Um, and sort of buying another watch has never sort of struck me as as something I want to really collect. Um, and you know what? There are there are a lot of people in that category. And I think that uh, what, what we've done that's almost special is as we've grown and we've added new uh, membership options, we've sort of been able to, aside from the monthly watch club, um, we do flash sales every week uh, where we work with partners. And I mean, my goal is really to just get the people that are members the best deals possible on anything they're looking for or watch related. And so even people that maybe aren't about getting a watch every month would be interested in looking through our offers that we have weekly and seeing what they'd want to buy. Do you, do you have antique watches as well as sort of today's modern look watches? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I mean, aside from the aesthetic being sort of uh, antique or vintage, we also randomly send out vintage watches to people. Um, so we try to make this really fun club. And so we'll randomly, you know, put vintage watches in the mail for people, um, random stuff uh, that we do giveaways all the time. Okay. Your favorite part of running the business is, is dealing with people. What's, it, what's the part of the business that you, um, you don't like and is, is dealing with people? I'm just, I'm just kidding. Um, 
Like yeah, I think that. the I think one of the hardest parts of the business is, I mean, I've I uh, <laughs> I feel like I have a huge family now, and not just with the people that I work with daily, but people that I interact with, I genuinely care about, and the I think it's probably a normal fear from any entrepreneur that you know everything could just crash and burn one day. And I don't think that's going to happen, but you know, the fact that I worry about where people will get their watches is kind of ridiculous, <laughs> but I, you know, I truly care. And I think the, that's the hardest kind of overall thing for me. Um, just coming from a place of fear a little bit, but on a day to day, um, I don't have any complaints. I love what I'm doing. Um, it's, it's amazing. I, I I'm truly living like a, a dream right now. That's fantastic. What did you, 10 years ago, what did you want to do? Where did you want to be? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I think I wanted to be an actor 10 years ago. Oh, okay. Your your acting sucked. You found you were better at watches. Yeah, way better at selling watches. (laughs) (laughs) So what's the the hardest part about running a business? What is it? What's the problem that most entrepreneurs run into when they're running a business? Particularly in the early stages. I believe, I believe it's being short-sighted. I think that, and this is, this is one of the reasons why I think that we've excelled in, a, in an area that there are other businesses doing watch, or watches every month, but the reason that we have succeeded um, is because the other, the other watch clubs, what they've done is they look at it as a, a short-term business, or at least they have to profit short-term. Right. They have to make their money every single month, and they do that by sacrificing quality and, and brands. So they will just go to Alibaba and buy um, really cheap watches there that are maybe five or $10 and they're charging $30 a month. So they make their, you know, quick profit, but they're never going to scale that way. And the, I, I think that by, by looking long-term and really creating a value for customers, I think that was what really, uh, uh, pushed me forward. What, um, so where does the watch gang go now? I'm, obviously, you stick with watches for a little while and establish the business a bit more. Then, then what? Is it cufflinks? Is it what is it? No, no. I think it's always watches, but always it's not watches. always subscription watches as as the core business. So we, my my goal would be to uh, own uh, parts of a bunch of watch brands to distribute uh, for watch brands to have an amazing marketplace, uh, for watches. I mean, Kickstarter, uh, is a, you know, obviously it's a crowdfunding platform for everything. Watches are huge there and there's no reason why, and we're already sort of doing this, but kickstarting watch companies. I mean, there are so many people that start a watch brand, uh, every year and they fail at it because, you know, they sort of fail to get guidance. They fail to reach their market. And we're sort of an incubator for small companies as well. We, we've worked with companies, you know, on their watches where they've blown up after, after doing a partnership with us because nobody had ever heard of them before. Right. And, and they, they reached thousands of customers who then continue to buy their products month after month. So um, they're, they're, I think anything watch related is not out of our, our reach. So you see yourself as the, the global guru of watches. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so what about, <laughs> what about you, Personally, how much how much um, time does this occupy? You you're married with your family. Um, how um, how much time do you put into into Watch Gang? 
Um, well, up until a couple months ago, I was probably putting about 15 or 16 hours a day into the watch gang. Right. But, you know, that's, it's funny. I heard a, I, I don't know where this came from, but somebody said entrepreneurs are the only people that will work 80 hours a week to avoid working 40. <laughs> and it's so true because, you know, we don't want to work for somebody else. And it's, uh, you know, it's, it's my baby. I put everything into it and I, I wasn't going to. I wasn't going to see it fail because I wasn't willing to put the time in. And so I put as much time as necessary. And now that I've been able to grow out my team and, and hire people and I, I've been able to relax and I only work maybe 10 hours a day now. Okay. Um, so what do you enjoy doing when, you, when you're not working? What are, what are your hobbies or love to do? Uh, I hang out with my family a lot. I, I like to box. Um, I like to make stuff with my hands. I like, like uh, wallets or I'm trying to make a pair of boots right now. They look terrible, but it'll be my first pair. <laughs> <laughs> where did the, where did this come from? What 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 was your family background? What I've never heard of anybody who's going to sit down and make their own boots before. So, did you did you come from rural America or something? <laughs> uh, I grew up in yeah in rural America for sure. I I didn't make anything when I was a kid. I was learning how to like code and stuff. Um, but I think that comes from as an adult now, I, I spend so much time in front of the computer that I, I really enjoy the time that I have where I'm not looking at a, a screen. And so when I'm like, I'll throw some music on and just start like dyeing leather and cutting it and making projects and stuff. And it's, you know, it's crafty. It's cool. You get to make something with your hands and it, it's nothing to do with technology really. So I really enjoy that. Okay, good. <laughs> We're out of time, Matthew. I've enjoyed this a lot. So, Matthew Gallagher, thank you very much for being on the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business. Now, you'd like to know more about thank Watch you, Gang. Sir. And I don't know why you wouldn't want to know more about Watch Gang. I, I, when I first heard about it, I thought, this guy's a nut. Now I decided that <laughs> this is a really cool idea. Definitely. So, <laughs> jump onto watchgang.com and uh, enroll or at least have a good look. And I'll be back with more of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business Network after this short break. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking Absolutely No Bullshit Business Radio Show and Voice America Business Channel. We are the number one global business radio show for entrepreneurs. And this week, we're back broadcasting from Hollywood Boulevard in Los Angeles the heart of Silicon Beach. I, um, I told you that was a great idea. I mean, I, when somebody said to me, this guy, you should interview this guy, he's got this watch company that sends people out watches every month, I thought, uh-huh, this is going to be short-lived. <laughs> what do I know? He's doing $25 million a year, and he's only year, not even a year old. Great idea, I guess. This show's all about entrepreneurs, People have got the balls to get out there and have a go at improving the world. And today we've got another great entrepreneur story. John Zimmer has a tremendous work ethic and he's come a long way 
from sleeping on a couch eating frozen meals to running a $7.5 billion company. That's $7,500 million. That's a lot. John's the co-founder and president of the ride-hailing service Lyft, which was founded in 2012. So it's only five years old, and it faced fierce competition from Uber right since it started. But Lyft's now valued at $7.5 billion and it covers 94% of the US population. I must admit, I now use Lyft, used to use Uber, but switched over, and uh, they're good. I like them. For more than five years, Uber and Lyft have been locked into a battle to become the ultimate ride-hailing service. Zimmer said there was a point three years ago when Uber had 30 times the amount of money we did and we were trying to use a little bit we had to give incentives to passengers and drivers such that people weren't using our service. It was really difficult time. He began by writing a business plan for a Lyft-like company that he called The Waddle. That was his first name for the company, The Waddle. I like Lyft much better. He never valued material objects, still doesn't, not interested in material things. So he def- I guess anybody that's got $3 billion, you don't have to worry about material things, do you? <laughs> or at least you can say you don't. He defines success differently than most other people. And his first job was at the Hyatt Regency where he was answering phones. In his second year... At college, he took a city planning class called Green Cities. He realised that infrastructures were built decades before and there were now so many people living here and simply, if we don't fix those infrastructures, we're going to have a major economic, environmental and social problem. How true he was. He wondered what would be that next infrastructure. We've got so many roads... We've got 250 million cars. How do we now change the infrastructure? He found that the cars only utilised 4% of the time. People only use their car 4% of the time. I find that amazing. It sits idle 96% of the time. I suppose if I look at my car, that's probably about right. And we've built all this infrastructure like seven-lane freeways and parking garages for the 96% of the time that we're not using the car. And if you calculate it on a seats basis, only 1% of the seats are used at any time. So he sat there and he thought, how can we increase occupancy? This in turn would reduce costs for people because owning and operating a car, it's the second highest household expense in the US. But he didn't go and start Lyft right away, or Waddle, as he called it. He went to Lehman Brothers because it was important for an entrepreneur to understand finance. In 2007, he was on Facebook, and Logan Green, who became his co-founder, who who he didn't know at the time, posted that he was launching a website called ZimRide after being in Zimbabwe, where he saw people sharing rides out of necessity. He reached out, Logan flew to New York, they met and started working together. He was told he was absolutely stone motherless crazy to leave a sure thing like Lehman Brothers for a silly carpool startup. 
So they focused on college campuses and making the majority carpool to get home for spring break. For the first three years, they didn't take a salary. They lived in an apartment that was also their office. They lived on Trader Joe's microwavable meals and slept on a couch. Three years. How'd you like to do that? These people deserve to be successful, don't they? I mean, God. They got it to thousands of users just concentrating on universities and uh, people were paying them for their closed carpooling network. When they started Zimride, which was their second name, smartphones didn't really exist. So they set about increasing the frequency of use and then using smartphones when they came into vogue. In 2012, they launched Lyft. And this is a good bit. It only took them three weeks from the concept to having a live app. Now, that's fantastic. It's important to be close to their product. And this is another thing that I really admire about these guys. They say it's important to be close to their product. So Logan and John still drive. So they own Lyft. They're both multi-billionaires and they drive so that they can understand what people like you and I think when we're sitting in the back. I think that is fantastic. Now, John Zimmer's got some advice for entrepreneurs. Don't focus on the billion dollars or being a unicorn because very few companies ever make it. Focus on why you're doing this. Why do you want to do this? What do you actually want to do? What are you passionate about? What do you think needs to be better in the world? And John says if you focus on those things, you'll be successful and you'll make money. Now, remember, if you're not living on the edge, you're taking up way too much space. So get out of the way and let somebody who wants to succeed go past you. It's easier and much more rewarding to do the impossible than it is to do the ordinary. It's also better to aim for the stars and miss than it is to aim for the gunner and succeed. And if you're always trying to be normal, you'll never know how amazing it is not to be. I hope you have a sensational week, and I hope you're going to join me again next Tuesday when I'll be broadcasting from Barcelona in Spain. In the meanwhile, I hope you continue to be successful because the alternative to success really sucks. This is Bob Pritchard. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.